Hey, it's Mike, Sean, and AJ of the Confused Breakfast. If you love classic movies from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, we're the podcast for you. We just finished up May of Sways Uncaged. All Nick Cage and Patrick Swayze movies. Dirty Dancing, Donnie Darko, Face Off, The Outsiders, and National Treasure. Check us out wherever podcasts are found. You will be glad you did. Welcome to the third weekly roundup over here on She Speaks It All. Well, it's a little depressing not having succession to talk about, isn't it? And okay, I didn't realize that last week, that was the Yellow Jackets season finale. I, that, what? It, we, okay, I, whatever. <laughs> I, can't even, I don't understand what happened this season. I've I've gotten a lot of feedback from people too saying that it's not a good season. Um. If you missed it, I posted this on Instagram. I'm going to be doing a rewatch series, a rewatch bonus series. I'll be releasing episodes either every Thursday or Friday. Um, and I'm going to do a rewatch of Succession and Yellow Jackets. I've already watched the pilot episodes for both again. Watching the Succession one was crazy because it was just like, what is this? This isn't, it's just so quiet and dark and didn't have all the glossy money yet. Um. They all look like babies. So it's almost like watching it for the first time. But the Yellow Jackets pilot, I'm like, God, no wonder I got sucked into this. It's a, an incredible, incredible pilot. They, in case you missed it last week, I said this. What happened with Yellow Jackets was I don't think they anticipated getting picked up for multiple seasons. And they are also like, we didn't really flush all this out. So we don't really know what it is either. So let's just keep alluding to it in this sort of vague way. And it was a mess. I'm sorry. It was a mess. Maybe they'll maybe they'll bring it together, though, in season three. That does happen with a lot of popular shows where season one is great. And then season two is like, what? And then they really come back hard season three. So maybe. But I still had problems with season one. So I'll be covering that, like I said, either Thursdays or Fridays, once Vanderpump Rules ends and I can wrap that up over on She Speaks Bravo, it'll change up the recording schedule. Because as of now, when Vanderpump Rules airs, like the next day, it is just like record, edit, post, and then talk about it online, you know? Vanderpump Rules has taken over our lives. But let's get into this week's roundup. We are going to be doing... RuPaul's Drag Race All Stars. I I was I had a glimmer of hope <clears throat> for this season, and I I'm taking it back. But then I was going to cover the Duggar family docu series, the Shiny Happy People. Uh, I'm not going to go into as much detail as I would normally if I was covering a show because I found it to be like not a surprise, not a shock and a little bit I'll I'll get into it. I am going to go into incredible detail though on the docu series Curious Case of Natalia Grace cuz I have a lot of thoughts on that guy. Okay. So get your coffee, get your cocktail, whatever, or if you're driving don't do any of that. And let's get into this. Drag race. 
I'm going to start with Drag Race. Okay. Last week, I was like, you know what? Maybe they can bring me a little fun drama. And I saw a, a little bit of a, a glimmer of hope for the um, performers. But then we go into this week. Jimbo has won. Heidi is still dressed up like a donkey. Uh, and it, the lipsticks were pretty much all for Darian. So that was a good unanimous situation. But we get to start off the kind of B storyline of Alexis being threatened by Jimbo and Jimbo and thinking Alexis is like her number one competition. Um, I don't, I just don't think they're comparable. Like Alexis isn't funny naturally i think she just plays characters and she, like when she did liza and then she does b arthur like but jimbo's funny like jimbo has you know jimbo jimbo has a good read for it she can't lip sync for shit but alexis is also so so horny such a typical top that bald spot is such a bummer for her though that friar, what do they call that? The bald spawn. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a bummer for her. I would just shave the whole head at this point. Just go shave it all, baby. But it's snatch game week, and I, you know, snatch game for all stars is usually amazing. Most of the queens that do all stars did a snatch game, so they kind of know what they're coming with. Um, but James Mansfield doing Jennifer Coolidge. Immediately, I was like, oh, that's so overdone. Uh, and it's like, if you just can do the voice, the voice isn't that hard to do. But I thought that's a little, it it kind of lined up with the critiques they got last week about uh, how it was a little generic, their, their, their pilot episode was just like, it was pleasant. And I was like, that's sort of what this is about to be, isn't it? Just pleasant. But then here's my question. Why does Heidi go as Blackbeard? I don't, like, what? Of all the things you could have done, you're going to go as Heidi? I mean, Blackbeard? A fictional character? A fictional pirate? A, a man, too? I, ugh, so bizarre. The first group is painful. Painful. You've got Kahana as Coco Montrese, which I knew as soon as she said she was doing Coco Montrese, I was like, nope, that's not going to be good. There's not enough there. And so James wins basically because no one else was good. And But even her joke, even the jokes, like at the very end when Rue's like, where are you guys going to go? She's like, I wanted to go shopping. Huh? Like, I don't associate that with with her I mean I guess are you playing the character from Legally Blonde but yeah but the second group was hysterical the second group was exactly what we watch for everyone was a powerhouse and I'm in a way I'm glad they kept all the good ones together because we got a great second as opposed to like in the first group if you had placed one of those in there it just would have dominated but they had some stuff to riff off of in the second one um What's her name? Candy was not Drita, but one of the mob wives. It was perfect for her. She that see that's honestly if you if you struggle with 
playing characters, doing impressions, et cetera. Just get someone super close to your personality that you can just essentially like ex- accentuate your own personality. Uh, and that was that was smart of candy. But Heidi, as, I'm sorry, not Heidi, uh, B, B. Arthur, played by Alexis, was fine, was funny, was accurate, was true to form. But when you get that Shirley Temple crazy Jimbo at the end there, there's no top in it. Really is no top in it. But the real moments happen after the Snatch Game when they're in the workroom and Coco confronts Heidi for messing with her during Snatch Game, which she did. Which she 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 claims that she was trying to like give her something to riff off of, but it wasn't. It, it definitely came off a little bit more condescending than that. Like, mm. so as Heidi's giving her speech about how she never wants to seem like she's coming for one of her sisters, Candy's like, okay, well then why did you tell Jimbo that I'm coming for her? And then Heidi goes, because you did, right, Alexis? Alexis is <laughs> worse. She's like, um, uh, yes. And then, and then Heidi gives the specific thing that Candy said, and she goes, well, I didn't actually hear that. That part I was not there for. <laughs> the part I was not there for. And it gets so tense, and it's like the workroom is silent. And then Heidi goes, Jimbo, when I told you that's what I've heard, that's what I've heard. Let's just have fun tonight. And then you can see she starts to spiral. She goes, and when it comes down to voting, vote Heidi. Yeah, no, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Actually, you know what? I am done. I'm out of here. It was a good dramatic exit. But Candy and Alexis follow her, and Heidi's like, I need my peace. I need my happiness. I lost it here. So they let her go. But then Alexis back at the workroom sobs. Alexis is so dramatic. And they're all dramatic, but Alexis really takes the cake. Okay. The re- the re- the runway. Reveal yourself. Jessica is the chicken, and then underneath that is an egg, kind of, and then the omelet. Uh, I guess it was funny. I guess it was it was cute. It was funny. It was well done, well executed. Kahana Montrese, though, she comes out as that showgirl burlesque, total striptease. The final, the final removal of the thong was like, oh, my, how did you? That tuck is tight. That is a painful tuck, I gotta say. James is a mess, in my opinion. The the Muppet to start, like, that wasn't fully on, so it was just kind of being held up, and then she just takes it down. Um, and then it's like her normal look. We've so we've totally seen this look before on her. And then she strips down to like a bodysuit, but you can see all the bunching. And so it just looks completely ill-fitted. And then she does the same like Betty Boop, Marilyn Monroe thing. That's her. Th- she just keeps, she's kind of one note like that. Candy as the housewife. She's giving us more face and still, but she still goes back to acting very smolder, supermodel with the stripping and the whatever, uh, but I thought she looked fantastic. Her makeup was amazing. Lala Ree just did one reveal, and it's like a blue bodysuit with some wings kind of on the hips. And I was like, <clears throat> that's not really, that's not really a lot. And then Jimbo, though, with the Adam and Eve bit. It was a trip. 
it was bizarre. The feet, because the front the front feet had to be barefoot, and so that when she walked to the side, it was like the it was just so absurd. And then Alexis comes out with her very serious into the woods entrance where she's cloaked and then she spins and she's, and she's, you know, this witch. She's just so serious. I mean, it was beautiful, but it was just like, she's <laughs> so fucking serious. She's, she's so, and I say this as a, as a former musical theater nerd. She's just like a musical theater nerd, you know? And so Jimbo wins. Um, I did appreciate what's Michelle saying something to James about the bunching on her outfit. I'm like, yes, because it is. It's like it's it's funny. I'm glad that she's she's not terrible, but it's it was like this is just sloppy. But the limp sync is again Jimbo just doing super basic moves while the assassin, this time Jasmine Kennedy, does every trick in the book. So it's like, yeah, I'm sure Rue would like to give it to you, Jimbo. You keep winning, but you're not doing anything. You're not literally doing anything. You're bouncing up and down. And I get it. Not everyone can do tricks. That's totally true. But you're not doing anything. It's It just sort of stays the same every song. But Jessica and... Alexis? That's not the bottom queens. It's Jessica and who's in the bottom? Kahana, right? But it doesn't matter because Rue does this really funny bit and goes, with great power comes great responsibility. That is why I've made this difficult decision. I will continue to be blonde. But then she's like, no one is going home tonight. So once again, I'm back to being pretty let down by this season. Like, maybe it's just – no, it's not maybe anything. It's all-stars. This is all-stars, and it, it just might as well be another season of Drag Race, okay? Um, I can – I could get into the other two. I really could. But I'm going to say something. I'm not loving this season. And if you guys want me to keep covering it, shoot me a DM – and I will, because I found this last episode with the whole, it, it's the gay glob movie. Uh, and he's like, like, he's like, it's just unapologetically gay. And I'm proud to be the face of it. And it takes off. And essentially, it's not in any way gay at all. And it's very much a commentary on the outrage over different animated films recently doing gay characters, but they're not even really gay. It's just like, everyone needs to relax. But there's just some stuff that's – I get that they're suspending reality quite a bit. I just – I'm just confused by the blocking and the choices. Like at one point, Brooke calls Shuri and she's on set. She's right next to video – right next to the monitor, right next to the director. And this – and they're rolling and she's like, hey, Shuri. I'm like, what is – like she would just walk off set. These are like little tiny things. And I'm like, this just is – I don't – I'm a little confused. I know a lot of people are loving this season. Uh, I saw someone who I – normally agree with say that they thought this was the funniest episode ever um we did get funny moments for sure but it's like the tech okay brooke was on a tech date a date with a tech billionaire and he's like rock climbing and crazy and he just keeps going look how high i am don't let her come up look how high i am and it's just a commentary on how stupid billionaires are right okay cool um and carrie's now totally taken off as just being the face of the movement and totally obnoxious. 
they've just forgotten that I we need to somewhat like these characters, right? A little bit, but I can't stand any of them. There's no uh, Brooke is broken up completely with with what's his face, uh, Lance, and I feel like they're just going to do a bit where they get them back together, but they shouldn't be broken up. She should have just not been a total asshole. I want to see them together. This is just creating conflict for creating conflict's sake, which is how this whole season has been. Pat is dating Simu Liu, Simu Liu, I don't know, who's a billionaire and she's always on a plane. Because uh, then Carrie, <laughs> Carrie brings all of his friends to be on the on the red carpet with him so that he could be like, look at all these gay people here. And then Brooke starts dating a millionaire, but he turns into a billionaire when she's in the bathroom. And then he's crazy and has the same crazy billionaire face. And then in the movie, the scene that was supposed to be unapologetically gay isn't so unapologetically gay. And then Carrie lies. It's This part is funny that even the protesters who were there to say they didn't want to see gay representation, even they like stand down because they're like, oh, this is OK. We actually don't even know what this is. But Carrie then lies and says that Disney cut the scene. And Curtis is like, what was cut? And Carrie goes, my glob sucked the other glob's dick. And then he was like, okay, no. And he stumbles and doesn't know what to say. And Curtis, who is the truly most lovable person ever, and maybe they think that by putting Curtis, like amazing, lovable Curtis, that we'll forgive the rest of it. But Curtis shouldn't be saving Carrie at this point. Carrie's been treating him like absolute garbage. And he saves him and kind of suggests everyone go get dinner. It's like, everyone, aren't you guys hungry? And they're like, we are hungry. I'm like, what? That was his save? And then the movie's over? It was so stupid. And then Brooke ends up on a rocket ship, which is a commentary, of course, on billionaires needing to go to space. You know, what is it with you billionaires and going to space? And great commentary on how they do nothing at the end of the day. Uh, and then Brooke has the epiphany, finally, that she can do good in the industry, as opposed to thinking she needed to be out of the industry to do good. I'm like, so why the fuck did we go through this whole process? Why did we go through this totally unnecessary process of her figuring it out? She should have just stayed in the freaking industry. And then Carrie's like, "Uh, I'm not going to go get a drink, actually. I'm just going to head home. And then Curtis turns the corner and realizes that Carrie's doing ridiculous press about why... It was good Globby wasn't gay, and that's going to be their thing. So clearly I'm not loving it, and I don't even know if any of you are here to hear that. So if you are, cool. Let me know. Shoot me a DM over on She Speaks It All pod, and let me know, like, yes, keep covering the other two. Otherwise, I don't, uh uh-uh. I'm not, this was garbage. But let's go into why I'm not going to go so in-depth about the Duggar docuseries. Okay, I just got done watching the Hillsong docuseries. I actually stopped because it was so dragging out on the Hillsong thing. I'm like, oh my God, hurry the fuck up. To me, it is no longer news that very devout religious people, groups, have a ton of corruption. It is a tale as old as time at this point. So that is, I almost felt like I was 
kind of watching the same thing about the Duggars. I also knew a lot of it already, um, just about them like covering up the sexual abuse and stuff. But so th- I think that was to me, I was like, okay. And like, I was surprised the Duggars were made so popular. I think it's, I think that's more of a comment on the network and on America that they made, they wanted this family to be so loved and and they wanted more of them. I'm like, why? There was, so to me, I was just confused why they ever were popular and it was kind of only a matter of time before this shit came out. And then it the the docu-series was less about the family and more about the bigger picture. The bigger picture of the religious group that has taken off. Like I have a I have a friend who's Christian, who's very Christian, um, but he doesn't identify with the teachings of this. And it's it's not to be confused with women are to be subservient and the they have those weird TikTokers that do the wildly popular TikTokers that do like the Christian message content. And so it's it's this section of of Christianity essentially as what I'm seeing that that's kind of taking over that's super conservative and misinterprets what my friend views as the message of the Bible and Christianity because my friend is gay and he he will send me the best the best religious content and I'm like okay now this is a little different you know I don't necessarily subscribe to the whole Jesus of it all like that's not my my version of God but I can replace the word Jesus for something else something bigger than me and he i what he views as christianity i think is gorgeous and loving and amazing however this this section which was clearly kind of made popular by the duggars and other like conservative shows that took off has turned into what what people view as christianity and that's not necess- that's not true god doesn't hate gay people. God doesn't hate women and think they should be subservient. Like there's there's a lot of there's a lot of incorrect messages in the name of God. So I watched this going, duh. Duh, there's just rampant abuse that's been covered up for centuries essentially. So none of it was brand new to me. And it more was a it was more commentary to me on I'm saying the word commentary a lot. It was more a commentary to me on these like super devout religious groups that say, you know, don't cheat on your wife, don't have sex before marriage. All these very sexually limiting things tend to have the most sexual abuse ever. And anyone who comes forward with it, with the claim, is shot down, is is outcast, and it takes a decade or two before anyone really listens to the victims because it it's it's. It's a thing. It's a cult, basically. So I just wasn't as shocked by it. And I also felt it, it focused a little bit more on the other bigger religious leader than on the Duggars. It should have really attacked the network, to be honest. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you guys? It did a little bit. Don't get me wrong. It did. But I just thought the direction of it was a little scattered. Like, I was like, what am I supposed to be mad at? Am I mad at the Duggars still? Or we're mad at, we're mad at the other thing? What is it? 
How did they, how did this happen? But it did bring awareness, I guess, for these people. Uh, it brought awareness for people who may still be suffering in it. And it helped these victims speak their minds and say a lot. It just was like, yeah, duh. Absolutely. So I didn't find anything to be that necessary to like latch on to and get into. However, the most fascinating thing, and also I thought irresponsible as well, was the curious case of Natalia Grace. I'm going to go into fucking detail on this one, okay? My question, why was this basically from the sole perspective of Michael Barnett? Why were they forcing us to watch so much of him? We open, episode one opens on this guy. It's a stranger to us at this point. He's wringing his hands and he's tortured with his thoughts and his extreme, overdramatic, pathetic performing. She threatened to stab my sons and drag their bodies under the deck. She threatened to kill my wife. She was going to kill everyone. We were all fucking abused. We were all abused. Immediately, I don't want to see this guy's face very much. I don't want to see it (laughs) at all. But yet, he's going to have the most interviews. They're going to connect with him the most, probably because he was the only one willing to participate. But it felt shitty to do this. And I I do know that Natalia is going to have her own version of this coming out later this summer. That was announced. She did a, a entertainment tonight. I think had a had an exclusive clip or some one of those sh- one of those shows had an exclusive clip of her saying this will be my version of it because I thought it was it was almost like they wanted people to be like okay maybe Natalia was a serial killer or something because they were talking to the neighbors who didn't like her and they weren't they didn't speak for the victim in this at all. So then I was a little confused with the way they played the whole thing out with the with the the jury and so if they were trying to be neutral, they didn't do a great job, but they didn't do a terrible job either. It just was way too much of this creep Michael Barnett. So he says that they had been, him and his wife had been married for 15 years, lived in a 5000 square foot home with nice cars in the driveway. Uh, And then within like whatever, by 2013, he had nothing and it's all because of Natalia. We we find out that they have a son named Jacob who was diagnosed with Asperger's, but he's a genius. And they kind of turn him into a little prodigy, a little marble where they make him go on tours and talk to people and put him on camera and stuff. We get a lot of these phone calls between the two of them throughout the whole thing where they'll it's between Christine and Michael. And it starts with Christine saying that she I was interviewed by cops and, and they were in a bulletproof vest and I protected you. So they're setting us up to be confused by the dynamic, confused by the whole thing, which is fair. When we meet Jacob, their son with Asperger's in real time, he's living in his dad's basement. And he says he has regressed and his childhood was super traumatic. And the setting of this guy's interview on this creepy bed with the cracks in the walls behind him, it just doesn't feel great. It does not feel so good. 
So they adopt Natalia from this rundown strip mall called Shepherd Care. It was a closed adoption, and the birth certificate said she was born September 4th, 2003. The first, they, he claims that the first family, they flew in, dropped her off, and just left. And he claims, he claims when he first saw Natalia, it was one of the best, the top five best days of his life. He's, the way he tells stories is so clearly a lie because it's so over-dramatized. It's like he's selling the story to us. He, it's like he had to paint the picture for himself in order to believe it. But they get Natalia home and Christine was giving her a bath and she screamed out for Michael to get in there because she has pubic hair. Now, can you imagine what this was like for this kid? She's getting a bath and suddenly, according to Michael, Christine's like, get in here right now. And is like, look, look at her naked body. Okay. So, okay. Natalia then, according to them, tells them that she has a period. And she's been hiding it because Christine allegedly found socks she had used for her period and threw them out the window. Well, now, if you reference back to the Dr. Phil episode, the one that introduced us to this person, she says that there was one day where uh, Christine made her use a tampon and she had to fucking use a tampon. And there was a little bit of blood on the tampon which made her think, okay, there's that. I'm like, well, yeah, because you stuck a tampon up, up someone who didn't need it. And if there's going to be a little tiny bit of blood on that, that's not a period. What? But okay, in the neighborhood or in the area, there's another girl with the exact same uh, diagnosis as Natalia. Her name is Therese. And allegedly, according to Michael... Natalia, when she gets around Therese, realizes that they can see the difference in her face versus Therese's face. And Therese's mom is introduced to us, and she also thought Natalia was not a little kid. But then we meet Therese, and she looks at the picture that they took as kids together, and she says that Natalia looks about 18 or 20 in the picture of when Actually, according to Natalia, according to Natalia, she was six, according to the birth certificate. I, 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 I'm sorry. I don't agree. <laughs> I don't fucking agree. She, she just, her features, her features are just different. And when you see her mom, the, Natalia's real mom, you're like, oh, okay. I kind of just see that she looks like her mom, you know? And then Natalia didn't know a lot about the Ukraine. And they bring a woman who speaks Ukrainian around and she doesn't understand anything. She had no accent. Like the kid was like, she was like five (laughs) when you picked her up. And then she was adopted by an American, like, what are we doing? And then Michael claimed that she went, she went from sweet face to, and then he impersonates, he impersonates her as like crossing his arms. He's like, and then she was all evil. He's just so over the top and such a ham about it that I'm like, I don't believe you. Okay. I don't. 
And there's all these home videos of Christine saying that Natalia lied. And then it turns out, according to Jacob, that uh, she was – it was typical – well, this is according to Michael too. But Michael, they say that she would defecate or urinate on herself on purpose. And I thought, or you guys weren't taking care of her. That's what I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with like if she had a normal accident that a kid would, they would be pissed about it. And then he says that she would throw herself out of the vehicle to look like a helpless little girl. And they've got video of her doing that. And my question is, how do you have video of it? If your claim is that when you put her in the put her in her car seat or put her in the car and then when you walked around to the other side, she would then throw herself out of the car. How did you manage to get all the way back around and capture it happening from start to finish? Did you guys tell her to do that? She would th- according to them she would throw their favorite toys in traffic to get them to run out into the traffic, the other boys. She'd been hiding knives under her bed and says, I'm going to kill you in your sleep. Listen. And then Christine tells that neighbor lady, uh, I think her name is Rachel, whose daughter was also friends with Natalia. Uh, she just, Christine just says, knives. <laughs> okay. All of this is just preposterous to me. And allegedly, they tried three or four therapists to get a diagnosis. And the one therapist says, you're all in extreme danger. She's a sociopath. I don't buy it. I legit don't buy it. Michael tells every story so with with dramatic reenactments. He says, one night at two o'clock in the morning, we hear a noise. Christine nudges me to go find out what it is. I go looking for the noise, can't find it here, can't find it there. I go down to Natalia's room, I open the door, it's dark. She's standing, dead center in the middle of the room, with a blank look on her face. I say, Natalia, what are you doing? And she just says, I'm waiting. Waiting for what? For you to go to sleep. I don't buy that for a second. First of all, it's two in the morning, you hear a noise. And you think that what, she made what noise? What noise did she make standing in the middle of her room? Why would she be standing in the middle of her room waiting for you to go to sleep if then she hears you walking around trying to find what the noise is? Wouldn't she just run back into bed and hide if she really was trying to wait for you guys to go to sleep? Wouldn't she just pretend she was sleeping she wouldn't be standing in the middle of the room in the dark going i'm waiting for you to go to sleep i don't believe this one night natalia is at the foot of the bed with a knife in her hand he thinks and he thinks it's a flex that they never they never wanted to take her back we didn't want to take her back we thought we could fix it you thought you could fix someone saying i'm trying to kill you in your sleep and holding a knife over you what no, that's not that's not the facts. Also, she's so small and has such just dis- so many disorders here that physically, how is she that threatening to you guys? 
lock your fucking door. If you're worried she's going to kill you in your sleep, lock your door. How does she stand over your bed while you're sleeping? And then Christine's alleged story of doing the dishes and Natalia actually is going to help for once. And then she puts pine sol in Christine's coffee when she leaves the room. Natalia, on her Dr. Phil interview, also spoke about that part. And she said, no. They tried to claim they had it on camera. She's like, I moved the bottle out of the way and I moved the cup out of the way when I was cleaning. That's it. Jacob claims that to this day he has an issue when someone else gives him a drink because it's just from, you know, it's a fear. It's a fear from Natalia that Natalia gave me this fear of drinking drinks that aren't mine. I go, or your family did, your parents, your parents lied to you and told you that this, this, this disabled girl was trying to kill the whole family. So in episode two, we find out about that bullshit story. This is this is how Michael tells it, that they go to this milk farm for one of the kids' birthdays, one of the boys, I think Ethan's. And they get there and they make and they they say they make them sign a waiver about how there's an electric fence. And he does this over dramatic reenactment of Natalia going, I have to sign right here. Okay. And like, I just who are you imitating? Who are you fucking imitating right now? Signing with this smirk, this devilish smirk. And so Natalia couldn't walk, quote, suddenly when she got near the fence. And Christine tells them to go on ahead. And Michael looks back because he hears screaming and he sees Natalia pulling Christine down (laughs) towards the fence. The reenactment that they do of this is hysterical because it proves that this just physically doesn't make sense. That this little tiny thing is, is yanking Christine down and Christine can't resist. You know, it doesn't make sense. It's like the reenactment. They're, they're, they did, they did their best to try to show this reenactment and make it maybe make sense, but it didn't, it just didn't make sense. And, Then he hears sirens, and he said, I honestly thought Christine was dead. Okay. So Christine calls 911 and wants her arrested for trying to kill her. Uh, Instead, though, they take her to a mental health hospital called LaRue Carter, where she admits to hospital personnel that she wanted to kill the family. At this point, I wish that they had started splicing in a little more reality because they let this go on for so long that you that you kind of live in this place that this is really happening. Because now they've got these anonymous LaRue workers who say that she was manipulative and aggressive and she talked about sex all the time. And they couldn't get a they couldn't get control of her and they literally call the barnets and say you need to come get her because she's propositioning the men there was a mention of her doing sexual favors for money i would like to interview these people in real time like what cuz this is pretty damning evidence right it's like this isn't coming from the barnets it's coming from them and to me her making all these little sexual jokes and whatnot ties in later to Christine being a whole 
dirty birdie and possibly teaching her things because she's just imitating her parents. You know, that's sort of what it, that's what it seems like to me. And this mental institution is, should be shut down. Allegedly, the hospital said to the Barnetts, um, you got to take her. We can't take her. We may be a mental health facility, but you need to take her to another mental health facility. Okay. I just don't believe this guy's story at all. Now, we get Beth Karras on this one. She is such a staple. She does basically any docuseries that'll have her. She's always the go-to. She's a former prosecutor in New York. Uh, and she says it perfectly. If if she's threatening to kill them, you go to the police. Duh. You call the police. You file reports. Because this happens with children at times. Like, this has happened before where parents call the police on their uh, children threatening to kill them. But instead, no, 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 not at all. In March of 2012, a neighbor calls Child Protective Services And that was from when Christine makes Natalia sleep outside because she won't tell them where she's from. Where are you from? Who are you? If you're not going to tell me you're sleeping outside. And so CPS hears her crying and screaming and, or the neighbor hears her crying and screaming. So CPS is called because they're like, hi, I don't know what's happening to this little girl over there. He, he immediately realizes that he's not here to protect. This is according to Michael. He immediately realizes he's not here to protect Natalia. He's here to protect my sons. Hmm. Is that because of things you're telling him? And then he gets her naturalization information, and she admits that she was told her new birthday at the orphanage in Ukraine. And I don't think that proves a lot. I think that proves that she's just been given a new birthday. I feel like it's kind of probably normal because she doesn't know where she's from. She was like abandoned. And allegedly, she doesn't recognize the picture of herself as a kid. Well, it looks like her, okay? It's not like it looks like a completely different person. Like, why are you, what, this chick, this little, this chick, this kid has been passed around, abandoned at birth. This is the second family that's dealt with her. She's not physically threatening, for real, come on now. And you're trying to claim that, She's faked all of this shit. She hasn't grown a centimeter since they adopted her. Um. Okay, I I'm not even I I. I. So, the CPS guy is that correct? Tells them they need to correct her age. The no, the officer, the the police officer allegedly said that's right. It was a detective that gets involved. And he says, you need to correct her age. This was their legal advice. The legal advice from this police department was you need to go get her age changed. You need to re-age her. So they hunt for more info and no one wants to give it up. Um, meaning like it was a closed adoption. He can't get any further information on like her birth parents. But he gets the advice to check her backpack. And in there finds the first family, I guess. Anna Gava is her biological mother. And uh, there's this video of an investigator asking her sister Tatiana. And 
they she calls Anna and Anna says she's been going through this for 17 years. Which of course is like 17 years. Well, if you do the math, how old she can she be? I don't know what that meant. But we hear about the Sicones, the Sicones, they adopt her. But then they try to give her to couples at a little people convention. Like they're literally like, hey, do you want this kid? Are you kidding? This 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 child has been traumatized over and over and over again. And the way you know none of this shit is real about her being like a killer is that she's been living with another family for 10 years almost now and nothing's happened. Nothing. So I just cannot get over the the vision the visual of this child being passed around and taken to places like trying to give her away more. Like this is trauma on top of trauma. So then we get to the part where we are starting to be introduced to the when the Sacones were trying to get rid of her, they the Little People of America organization reached out to a few different people. And so we meet Judith Irving, who was one of the prospective parents, and also Robin and Dwayne Ferris. Judith says straight up, twenty like, why would you spend $25,000 to adopt a kid and only spend a year with that child? It felt like a scam. And her husband wasn't super on board. So they ended up passing. Then we get to Robin and Dwayne Ferris, though. And Diane Sicone, Diane, right, asked uh, for these prospective parents to pay for her previous medical expenses. I was surprised I didn't tell them back off right there. Like, huh? Why would we pay for previous medical expenses? But they say no. And she says, okay, fine, after a while. Uh, they also wanted to know, like, what they said the same thing. Why are you adopting a kid and giving the kid away in a year? Like, it's so much work to adopt a child. Like, what's happened? So Robin, thinking correctly, like, this child has been through trauma. I would like a psych evaluation on Natalia. And Diane said no. Now, why? I think the psych evaluation would have shown maybe that this child needs help. <laughs> this child is not okay from all the trauma. And um, so they go to see Natalia at the home that she's been in. It's at Camp Crystal Lake. She had no shoes with slippery braces on her feet and this treacherous driveway. So already they're like, how is this the home of this child with dwarfism and how does she not have shoes on? She looked her stated age, they said. She looked six years old. But Dwayne just had an intuition about Diane and Natalia. He knew they were lying. And Natalia would look at Diane before answering to make sure she said things right. So, you know, clearly she was being coached. But then he said he asked a question that maybe wasn't on the list of things, which was, how was it at the Ukrainian orphanage? And she said, it sucked. And they noticed Diane be like, mm, that, don't say that. Dwayne said he got an evil feeling from them. Now, 
I'm not that shocked that he would get a weird feeling from Natalia because she's in this crazy situation. And when they told Diane they were not going to go through with it, she went ballistic on the phone. So all of it to me sounds like it was a Diane problem, not a Natalia problem. So Christine, the current mom, the one we're dealing with now, she had reached out to Judith, who was the other prospective mom. And Judith Judith realized right away. She goes, I do not buy them being scared of a child when you're a full-size grown adult. She's like, we're just not built to be, we can't, we couldn't overpower, you know, normal-sized people. We just couldn't. And doesn't it just seem ridiculous that they're like, we have this crazy thing living with us and we're just going to keep living with it and treat it like shit. Michael Barnett reached out to Dwayne, who was the other prospective one, after he posted about their experience with Natalia. And Christine and Christine and Robin ended up talking for a bit, the, the wife of Dwayne. So <laughs> I thought, uh-oh, they're going to both be like, yeah, you know, Natalia's crazy. But instead, Robin goes, uh, you just don't know what's true about the Barnetts. Basically, like, uh, Christine's crazy. Realized that right away. And it was just some, we were not going to be their friend. So, okay, yeah. Right? Anyone who comes across the Barnetts are like, these freaks? Ugh, so sad. Christine's crazy stories just didn't make any sense. She's like, what? You know, what, what I think... Uh, Dwayne, when he posted about Natalia or his experience with Natalia, wasn't necessarily to say that Natalia was bad, just that like, if you are trying to adopt this kid, the person adopting her is not so great. Judith also, she's like, uh, the changing her age was utterly insane. Re-aging her was absolutely crazy. And then they flashed to him saying that the detective told them that was their legal advice. But it turns out this detective had passed. So we can't actually know for sure what the conversations were. However, there's an email that this detective wrote in which he says she's absolutely a child. If you look at this picture from this year and this picture from the however many years later, she's a child. This is what a child looks like. And I think that the reason why... Uh, the other child, Teresa, Teresa or Teresa, I can't remember how to pronounce her name, where whose mom said, no, that was not, that was not a kid. I feel like you can just be so easily influenced. I feel like you can really, really easily be influenced by the parents and the things the parents are saying. Beth Karras is, she's not happy. She's not happy. She says, listen, they just took the statements from the Barnetts as fact, and they didn't actually check. Like when, for example, they ask Michael if he has any domestic violence in his past, he said no. But sure enough, they got a police report where he had her in a head, he had Christine in a headlock. So, I mean, it, honestly, it shouldn't take that much investigating. This guy looks like he's got a screw loose. The neighbor lady, Rachel, said she saw them fight a lot. But she says Christine was super mean to him. And then we hear the phone call, one of those, one of the many phone calls where Christine is telling Michael he's got to stop being in denial. She tells him to get on medication because of his domestic violence past. These are dirty people. 
Okay, Trader's Point Creamery, the, the place where there was the the milk the far the milk farm, that place. We they interview a couple people from there. The first guy they interview is this guy named Christopher. He recounts the electric fence situation. He goes, uh, yeah, Christina was the mess and Natalia was perfectly calm. He's like, nothing about it seemed like there was a threat. And then they play him the version of what Michael had told them. And he goes, I don't remember anybody saying, I'm going to fucking kill you. Nothing, no, nothing was said like that. And in the nicest way, he says, Christine was the worst, basically. He's like, all I was thinking was, uh, I'm happy I don't have to deal with her <laughs> regularly because she was a fucking nightmare. Okay? Then there's another guy. The other guy from the farm says, the fence wasn't even on. So when he got the call about allegedly someone trying to kill someone with the electric fence, he just laughed because it was so silly. It's like, there is no electric there is it's not even on so he didn't even bother going over there so i'm glad that we're debunking michael's stupid lies and christine's they put on a whole show she called 911 judith lets us know again it is impossible for natalia to have taken over for Chris, like like dominated christine so much that she truly felt that threatened but here's the big twist we get a 2022 interview with Michael. Now, up until this point, it had been a 2019 interview where there's like the red background. This is the 2022 interview with Michael in his cardigan or like his sweater. And his face is just so prissy. And he says he didn't see anything or talk to anyone but his wife. He claims that. He goes, I, you know, I, I didn't actually speak to anybody at all. Except for my wife. I just got there and focused on my wife. However, they compare the complete inconsistencies with this interview and the one from 2019. In 2019, he says that her feet were bleeding because she had bad shoes, obviously, and that she was throwing up blood. Okay, well, that sounds like someone needs medical attention and you guys are neglecting her. Like, if if she can't walk, I think that's pretty understandable. She has disabilities. Like, fuck you guys for being like, oh, you're just being dramatic. Take care of this girl. And in the third episode, it starts with the 911 call where she, where Natalia says that she needs help. She's been stalking her neighbor and she wants to hurt them and someone needs to stop her. Pretty damning evidence, right? I wouldn't be surprised, though, if they were feeding her this information and making her think that. Some doctor, some quack doctor actually does say that she is 22 based on the sole fact, basically, that she hadn't grown in four years. And they change her birth year to 1989. So after she's, Natalia's released from the hospital, she's taken to an apartment. This is where she was after she was re-aged. And Christine and Natalia both signed the lease. So we meet Sue, Sassy Sue, who is Natalia's neighbor in the Westfield Apartments. And she first sees Natalia when her mom, Christine, dropped off groceries. And she looked out and she's like, how is that girl going to carry all those damn groceries? And so she helps. She helps Natalia with the groceries while Christine just sits in the car and watches without saying anything. This, this woman is not well. 
She's an abusive piece of shit. Okay? I said it. Natalia's also on food stamps. We meet Melanie and Toby. They're neighbors. They're married. I found it very interesting how different the experiences were for both Melanie and for Toby. Between the two of them. Melanie was a lot more understanding and and sweet and open-minded as where Toby was like afraid of her. So Andrew is another neighbor and she would play with his grandson or she came over like one day she like came over and started playing on their little motor cars or whatever and he noticed that she didn't have a jacket and it was cold and she also had a very bad body odor and they noticed she's wearing the same clothes for days. This is someone who's not being cared for. All the neighbors say that they were concerned about that. And they only saw her dad from a distance. So they called DCS. And Heather Wilson is the officer assigned to the case. Dude. There is this video that Michael records himself of her going in to Natalia's apartment and interrogating her. Really scary shit. Very abusive shit. He's like, so where were you? Huh? Where'd you go? And she's clearly scared. And says, I was just walking around. He's like, how could you be walking on the sidewalk and I didn't see you? Oh, you said you were over there? Well, I drove over there and I didn't see you. And he keeps badgering her. Like he tells her that Heather contacted them and said that Natalia told them that they were only bringing her food once every two months. So I showed her all the receipts. So she knows that you were lying. They were going to try and do stuff, but we showed we showed everything to our lawyer and our lawyer said that they can't do anything. So she shouldn't even be over here. And you could just see Natalia's face like, okay, like the hope of her getting out of this situation is just gone. And he's, they're making it so that she has no access to any help, any any outside help. Then he sees the donuts. Where'd you get these donuts from? And at first she lies and said, oh, I was cleaning out the cabinets and I found them. And he's like, oh, I bet they got a date on them. I'll go check that. And then she has to admit that someone brought them over. Then... Following all this, following the DCS, following all that, she's forced to write a handwritten letter to Sue, the neighbor. And Christine walks over with Natalia and says, tell Sue you lied. Michael, meanwhile, gives her back her phone, but wipes all of the contacts, including Heather Wilson's information. This is sick. Sick. But then we start to get the weird stories from the neighbors. Where like Sue tells the story of how Natalia walked into her house, started picking things up and casing the place. As where she could have just been looking at stuff. You know, she hasn't been taught how to be a human. She hasn't taught how to have any social skills. She's been treated like a fucking leper. So she's not with it. Toby's like, she was just always around. Uh, And his wife confirms that, yes, we had to enforce some boundaries. Otherwise, as soon as we got home, she would show up. They they do this really ridiculous shot where the camera, like the camera's probably on some like very low dolly, but it's supposed to be from Natalia's POV. And the camera, the camera goes up to the house and Toby opens the door and looks down at the camera, like as if that's supposed to be the POV of little Natalia. And Natalia would call a lot to see if they would be home. And it's, it sounds like she was searching for connection with a human. And she didn't know how to do it normally. 
Sue was like, nobody liked her. Nobody. They felt sorry for her and they really didn't want her around. So fucking sad. The building manager said, yeah, she was like the talk of the town. If she basically did anything, I'd get a phone call about it. And Natalia starts doing stuff like letting herself in and going through the fridge. So they had to start locking their doors. And to me, I'm thinking she was starving. She was hungry. She had no idea. It's like survival instincts. This kid doesn't. She's a child. She's been abandoned in an apartment. There's this really unhinged interview with Sue. Like you can't see her head, but she's talking to, I don't know who, maybe an officer or something at the time. And she is crazed talking about, she'd come in and lock. We had to lock our doors. We were so scared. The 911 call that Natalia makes on herself is picked back up, but she's stalking her neighbor. And Sue asks one day, hey, why don't you live with your mom and dad? And she says, oh, I took a knife to them. I tried to kill my mom. Well, we find out later that Christine, like, fed this information to Natalia. And she was reciting what her parents basically said. Melanie and Toby's versions of their experiences are just so vastly different. Melanie said when she told, when Natalia told her that about the parents, she was just like, I started asking more questions because it just seems like a very... very odd thing to say but toby is like it was like a serial killer who just casually puts murder into a conversation okay and sue's all hype in her interview she's like you could just tell she was an adult she could be 25 how when she was with the adults she acted like an adult but when she was with the kids she seemed childlike And Natasha would go to Toby and Melanie's son when he was waiting for the bus. And that really kind of creeped them out, freaked them out. Like he'd be waiting for the bus and Natalia would just keep talking to him. Sue tells a story about her grandsons playing Xbox and Natalia is trying to touch him and get all close. So he kicked her out. Sue then goes to Melanie and Toby's and she's like, you need to not hang out with this girl. She's bad news. This is what she did to my grandson. Has where Melanie was really sweet about it. She's like, you know, we can make our own decisions. Thank you very much. And one day, Natalia came into their house without knocking, though. And she was beelining it for their son's room. And Toby's like, yeah, that's when we distanced ourselves and just were like, hey, we're not going to be home for a while. We're really busy. And Sue says Natalia was that neighbor that was always hanging around and they didn't even want to go outside. And Natalia would pop out and try to scare the landscapers. And then Sue, but Sue also then also mentions the super sexual things that um, Natalia would say, like the story of Fred, her husband, being in the laundry room and Natalia coming in and saying really sexual things. But I go back to her maybe being sexually abused because Christine was having all kinds of dirty conversations and at one point tried to pimp her out. And I'm thinking that this is a result of that. And they said Natalia would go to some guy's house for two to three hours at a time. And she told Sue that she lived in a house that had prostitution downtown before she moved there. I'm like, we're leaving that out of the story, aren't we, Michael? I don't think Natalia was lying about that. I think that I'm, I'm scared to know what this child has gone through. 
And then Sue tells the story of Natalia rolling around in the grass with the boy and then unzipping his pants. And again, I'm kind of led to think that this was because she was sort of abused herself and didn't know this was not normal behavior. There's a pre-trial disposition that they keep showing uh, clips of. And one of the lawyers, this guy Mark, is Christine's attorney, and he's a piece of shit. But he interviews Natalia in October of 2022, which is 10 years after all these incidents. And Natalia denies ever hurting a kid. Michael's like, her lease didn't get renewed. So, you know, we had no choice. We had to move to Canada for Jacob. So we just found her another apartment. We found her an apartment uh, in Lafayette. And uh, the deposition Again, the Mark guy asks if she wanted to live in those apartments, but she's like, no. He goes, where'd you want to live? And she said, with Christine. And I could, you could see his face. He's like, oh, well, that doesn't help our, our case here. But they clearly just dropped her in this fucking apartment. Melanie tries to call Natalia's phone after she moved out, but it was disconnected. So now, she, now Natalia is totally cut off. And at the very end of this episode, we are introduced to a new woman uh, who is going to be Team Natalia, thank God. So in episode four, we open on Michael calling the police, asking if it's true that he's being charged with child neglect. And that guy's like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah. So former Detective Bob Cooper is this, like, old-timey cop who, who who was the sergeant or whatever at the time and uh, he said that they moved natalia to a really bad area and he goes but they brought her to the wrong place though i don't like bullshit it just takes it takes the one guy you know but michael michael says the area is great you want to know why he says that it's in two blocks of an adult ged center that she signed up for within two blocks of a bus stop Two blocks of a suicide prevention center, two blocks from the Salvation Army, and close to a grocery store where she can cash her food stamps. To me, that sounds like a terrible area, because if you live near those things, most likely it's not the best place to live. Those are places that you don't really want to go to. So this one we meet Kina, or Kina. I'm sorry, but this is Natalia's neighbor that we met at the very end of the last episode. She has nine cats, two dogs, and five kids. Listen. But Natalia came to her door and said she didn't have any food and needed to call her parents to get some money. But she didn't know their phone number. And she just noted how strange it was that they would put this girl on a second floor apartment Because the steps are super dangerous. She could have fallen at any point and no one would have known. She could have, she even said she could have burned the fucking house down and it would have affected the people below her too. She talks about that grocery store that Michael was like, she can go to the grocery store and cash her food stamps. She's like, "Uh, yeah, no, no, no. There were like vagrants in the front, a homeless shelter nearby. Someone could have just picked her up and snatched her. I mean, this woman still lives in this area, and she says, I carry a weapon in my home on my body and outside of my home and on my body. It is a necessity to be armed. Dude, that's fucking nuts. 
And she says, if I saw the Barnetts, I probably wouldn't say anything. I would just start swinging. And I believe her. I fucking believe her. So there's an excerpt from this social media exchange that they keep showing. They keep showing on the screen the exchanges between them. And I'm like, wait, when you say social media exchange, do you mean this was like on Facebook and a comment thread on a post? Because I actually, there was this uh, old friend of mine, old, old, long time ago. She slowly went downhill, down the drug rabbit hole. And she got with this guy who was probably equally just as bad with the drugs. And they would have fights on Facebook. Like one of them would post something like, fuck him. He's out there cheating on me. And then people would comment on it. And then he would comment and they would go back and forth. And it was, I, it was amazing because then I would just like enjoy so this is what I'm wondering, like, were they having these conversations, like, publicly? Uh, or was this, like, DMs that were subpoenaed or something? This is from July 2013. Uh, Michael's like, I got chewed out by the apartment people. You never gave me the electricity info. She's been without power for three days. Christine, give her her food card and wipe out her contact list and clear out her stuff so she doesn't go to Hamilton County and call everyone. They took her phone. She didn't have a landline. I mean, are they trying to get rid of her for good? Then there's, oh God, there's this shirtless neighbor that they interview with this terrifying belly button. And he spent some time in prison, so he knows to stay observant, he says. And he's like, she's just a little kid, so, you know, I try to stay away from that. And I was like, um, okay. But he he proved that the area was not a good area. If that's how you're talking to people with cameras, yeah, you're not, it's not good. Scary. So after she went to the Lafayette Adult Learning Academy, she just stopped coming home. Michael says they got a call from the Adult Learning Center asking if they had heard from her, uh, meaning Michael. And he was like, no. But along comes Cynthia Mann. Cynthia Mann is truly Natalia's savior. She's moved in with her. Christine and Michael call Adult Protective Services. He claims that they took all of Natalia's money off of her $500 food stamp card, meaning Cynthia. Like, Cynthia trying to say that they were using her. They were abusing her. (laughs) Michael gets notified by mail that Natalia's social security payment is no longer going to him, but it's now going to Cynthia. I'm like, okay, that's what you're pissed about. You're pissed that all the money that you've been taking from this person isn't going to you anymore. And Cynthia was subleasing Natalia's apartment so that, so that gets Natalia evicted. I don't know if I buy that. I really don't. I don't know if that also could have been maybe a good idea. Maybe she was trying to help her get some money or something. So Detective Davenport calls Cynthia in 2019. This is the same detective that's been kind of on this whole case. This guy's cool. This guy's awesome. Natalia has been living with them at that point since 2014. So five years. And Natalia's said she was scared of Christine. And she tells a story of one time that 
Christine called Natalia and she had put the phone on speaker and Cynthia lets Christine know that it's, that's just not cool. You don't talk to, you don't talk to her like that because she was screaming and yelling and being horrible. And Christine was like, you get to send her to the psych ward. She hears voices. She's had sex before. And thank God Cynthia is like, you're nuts. Bye-bye. And so she, thank God, takes care of, I mean, this is a saint right here and her husband. So 2014, now we're going to go to 2014. Michael leaves Christine. Indiana police go to Michael's to question him about Christine. And he throws her ass right under the bus, right under the bus. He says that she claims she supposedly Lafayette is a white trash town. No one's going to care. No one's going to notice. So because people there are white trash, she won't, she won't con and manipulate anybody. Meaning drop her there because they're stupid. They won't ask questions. Detective says, I think she dropped her there and abandoned her. Michael then says, he goes, how old do you think, how old do you think Natalia is? He says she's 20 or 22. Well, dude, that means six years earlier when she was living in Westfield that you were fully aware of, she was 16. Dude. So he can't even get it right. He can't even get it straight. So they both get arrested, both Christine and Michael. They get arrested for child neglect because this detective's like, yeah, okay. Someone sent Michael's HR department at his job the news, and he's like, and I lose my job. Michael is so overdramatic with the victiming. It's crazy. The victim, the victiming left and right. He throws it all on Christine. And now we <laughs> now we get Michael current day or in his 2022 interview in his sweater again. And his story has shifted. Mind you, the guy was saying that Natalia was like a murderer, basically. But now it's all about how he was manipulated. He hasn't seen his middle and youngest son in eight years. We were all abused in that household. I'm going to give you the truth. I'll warn you, you may not like the truth. What? <laughs> Shut the fuck up. I hate this guy. So Christine would blame Natalia for everything. He's putting it all on Christine Natalia, I can't tell if he's now switching to Natalia as a good person and Christine just abused her because he hasn't fully said that yet because he still keeps going back to the fact that she wanted to kill them. So which was it? He's like, I promise you within five years, someone is dead. Okay. And this awful video of Natalia being forced to stare at the wall. And he does this really intense storytelling of Christine being abusive to Natalia, making her stand at the wall for hours. It's just over-the-top acting, and he dramatically leads into saying that Christine beat the holy hell out of her. And then he does the crazy demonstration. He's like, he, he's like, are, are you ready? Are you guys ready? They didn't need that. They didn't need a demonstration. No one who's telling the truth would tell a story like this. Just nobody. But now we know, according to Michael, that she was abused so Beth Kara's like, uh, well, then maybe hiding all the knives was self-defense, which is, that makes more sense. But then in the Dr. Phil interview, um, Natalia says that they were accusing her of hiding knives, get ready, on top of the fridge. How the hell is she going to get up there? How the hell, what are you talking about? No. 
Michael says um, that while this beating was happening, he allegedly pulled his phone out and palmed it so he could record it. And then she snatches the phone. How could you betray me like this? But he's like, I saved that phone. Well, I don't, I don't know if anything's been introduced into evidence, but in the social media exchange, she doesn't deny. Christine does not deny beating her. And Michael says, well, she deserved it, but still, it was pretty bad. Michael then makes, in that same phone call that we opened the episode on, where he calls to be like, am I really getting charged with child neglect? He's talking to the officer and the detective, and he goes, hey, just wanted to ask, uh, Natalia never said I hurt her or anything, right? Just, just that I tried to stop Christine from beating her. And the detective goes, well, Mike, did you hurt her? He's like, no, no. It's like, well, then why would she say that? Hmm. Then, okay, current day, 2022, Michael in his house, the popcorn, where he's like sitting there, standing there eating popcorn with Jacob. And he does this really uncomfortable thing with Jacob where he talks about how he reached out to him. And I I go and I, I see you at this event or whatever. And the first thing you say is, this is my dad. And he cries. He's like, it gives me hope. Then he says, sorry, Jacob, and hugs him and is sobbing. And this Jacob kid is like side-eyeing him and not really responding. And because this kid has a disability himself, I'm concerned. So Jacob's interview, he says that he's currently in a bad place with his mom because she refuses to acknowledge anything from his childhood. He debates saying, certain things related to Natalia and the producers like, are you worried that you will incriminate your mom? And he goes, "Mm, Nope, we're not, mm, not talking about this anymore. And he ends it. After that interview, Jacob doesn't realize his mic is still on. So at the top of these stairs, he's, he's talking to his dad and he says, I guess the moral thing that I've been struggling with is if there's some shred of hope that she could be redeemed, I don't think it's worth dragging her character down anymore. And Michael goes, oh, please, I've already said everything. I've said it all. I deserve the right to tell my story. Michael says, though, I did not tell them about the kicking down the stairs. And Jacob goes, oh, yeah, well, kicking down, I thought we agreed we were not going to say that today. There could be legal remorse with that. I don't want to get subpoenaed. Y'all. Then he realizes his mic is on. Okay, but Michael, they keep, this is where the this is where the show gets so fucking tedious, because I get it. You, this is the only guy who wanted to participate in the inter, in the docu series. So this is who you, this is the footage you have. But I don't need scene after scene after scene of him crying and saying I couldn't stand up to that woman. I just couldn't. I'm like, we get it, we get it. Okay. But okay, that that episode four ends. We pick up on episode five where they are still at the top of the stairs. Michael's he's like, they can't hear us. Don't worry. But okay, they 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 use this footage from this interview. I can't. I I missed what it was from. It looks like maybe a CPS worker or I don't know. But they are. She's supposedly in a safe space where she can talk freely, and. They the, the interviewer asks if she was abused at all, and she says, they didn't whoop me, but 
then she's only minutes later says, did I say they didn't whip me? Well, that's a lie because she let the boys whoop her. And Jacob actually would just pick her up and drop her. First she whooped me, then she had the boys, then Michael. So what? Jacob goes back to his bed after the hot mic moment to finish the interview. And he reluctantly admits to Christine telling him to urinate on Natalia's bed because she kept urinating and soiling herself. And now I'm wondering, when he tells the story, he's very troubled by it. He can't believe he did it. He felt like like a Nazi following orders, and he's really apologetic about it. But it makes me wonder, like, did you kick her down the stairs? Did they instruct you guys to do this? He cries. Like, he really, he's he's troubled by this. And he's like, he doesn't have anything else to add. He says, I hope she understands that I'm apologetic if Natalia watches this. Beth Karras has it perfectly. All this makes you wonder, what did they, what did she make Natalia do? Michael, like I said, he keep cutting this. We were all abused. Okay, I get it. I get it. We don't need to keep seeing his creepy face. He tells the story after they split of how Christine, quote, didn't sexually abuse me physically, but she, she fucked with him a lot after they got divorced. So the way he leads into this story is disgusting. He said that she never wanted to have sex with him. She wasn't attracted to him. Um, and he got, quote, a wee bit addicted to porn. And supposedly... Uh, well, not supposedly. There are photos. There's photo evidence. She would start sending him naughty pictures and would say things like, if you just come back, you'll get this. And it was literally, going back to the social media interaction that they keep showing clips from, it was literally to get him to do what she wanted in court. Because he's like, I want to fuck you. And she's like, well, sex and fighting or sex and court don't really go hand in hand. Trust me in court. Plead no contest. Because she wanted custody. So he does. He pleads no fucking contest because she's tempting him with some sex. I guess the porn addiction was meant to say that she knew to play into that. But I really didn't need a visual of this guy jerking off to porn, okay? Being addicted to porn. Doesn't that also say something about Natalia, what she was growing up around? What were you guys making her watch? What were you making her do? He claims that when Christine would take photos of the of the kids because he couldn't see his two sons, it would sync up to this Dropbox that he had access to. So he would open it daily, hoping to see pictures of his kids. But instead, it's pictures of her in various states of undress. <laughs> so he calls her at one point. And the phone call is her being like, I know you stalked the shit out of me. She sounds like a terror, but he's not much better. I don't feel an ounce of sympathy for this guy, okay? Michael says that Christine coached Natalia to say that she hurt people. He says that. So that tracks with the things that she had said to the neighbors that didn't make sense. And so matter-of-factly, right? Like saying it like it's been – like she's reciting something she's memorized that that tracks. The crux of the case, though, is how old is Natalia? So the detective calls the doctor who changed her age. 
And this guy just basically took their word for it. Like he, it's like, he's like, they said, they said she had a period in pubic hair. And so, yeah, if I do the math, that's, she's that age. <sighs> and then this, the deposition, uh, again, with that fucker, Mark, who's Christine's attorney, uh, he's interviewing the detective, detective, I think detective Davenport. And the detective says, it's his opinion that the facts show she's a child. And Mark goes, the facts say there was a motion filed that changed her age, and then it becomes a bit of a fight back and forth. And it's this this guy's a fucking creep, this this defense attorney. Unfortunately, he's good. So they track down Anna Gava in Ukraine to get a DNA test to make sure that that is, in fact, her mom, and it is. And um the interview with Anna is sad. She says that Natalia was born in 2003 and the doctor told her that there was just no sense in taking her home because she won't be able to walk at all. The surgery would cost $100,000 and throughout this, throughout the course of this, she starts getting emotional and the interviewer asks, why are you getting emotional? And she says, um, because I wish I listened to the doctors instead of keeping her. Ugh, brutal. She was shocked when she found out that she had been abandoned in an apartment at 13. Unfortunately, because this is in the Ukraine during the the Russian invasion, they got a rolling blackout and the interview cuts out. Michael, quote, regarding that woman in the Ukraine who is supposedly her mother, has this information been validated in the court? No. I have this test that was submitted by the prosecutor, but... So he doesn't even believe that's her fucking mom, psycho. For some reason, for some, because I guess these lawyers are that good, for some fucking reason, the court rules that Natalia's age was not going to be litigated at the criminal trial, which that's the whole point of it. So there's a, a really heated deposition with the defense and the prosecution and, the, and a spinal specialist named Joseph Bellflower who's treated her at one point. And he said, when I saw her, her growth plates were open. So she was not an adult when I saw her. And Mark goes, she was legally declared an adult. Not at, not at the time of treatment, though. Okay? So we're clear. And Mark goes, it's not me saying this. It's a court order that when you testify, there's not going to be any testimony of you trying to tell the jury that when I saw her, she was a child. And Joseph's like, uh, well, growth plates are growth plates. Like, I can't argue with that. Like, they were open. And the prosecutor says, unfortunately, she probably hates it too, but she says, we can't refer to her as a child. And he goes, I'm supposed to refer to her as an adult? So then you're not interested in the truth. You're interested in what the court said. Well, Mark gets all pissed off. And he goes, I'm offended. I will, I am offended because I am interested in the truth. He will not disrespect me and say, I am not interested in the truth. Her birthday doctor is 1989. I hate this man. I fucking hate this man. Okay, again, I really, everything from this point on is going to be so from this Michael guy's perspective. Like, we, we have to follow him around with, like, his legal team and listen to their strategizing 
and shit. I wish that they'd maybe gone to the prosecution and asked them what the fuck they were going to do. Why was this so geared towards him? Like, you guys were covering this with cameras. You didn't ask the prosecution if they wanted to be filmed too. You didn't ask for their side of it. You only got his side. It almost makes him like the protagonist of this. Meaning like, he's the one that we're supposed to be either rooting for or against, but I'm clearly rooting against him. But he's the one, he's getting all these scenes. He's getting all these scenes with his legal team. And so they can't use the word adoption. They figure out that they will be referring to her as my 22-year-old daughter. They make him practice smiling because he's the creepiest person ever. His team does talk about how he leaves the room and they're like, he's going to go to prison if he's found guilty. All right, episode six. Christine's Facebook gets submitted to evidence and Michael finds the messages between her and this guy, Freddie. Freddie, who is like a former rock star, he's a little person who apparently was just getting laid constantly on the road, which is wild. Michael has a scene where he starts crying, like he's sobbing. He's like, I'm not ready to stand up to her. I'm not ready. And this woman comes out and hugs him, and uh, it's his new his new lady, Jennifer. I'm like, God, wow, still, pull, still, still someone wants to be with you. Okay. Natalia on Dr. Phil, they show a clip, and she's like, they should fucking go to jail. She didn't say fucking, but she's like, they should go to jail for what they did. And she's right. In the deposition again, Mark tries to say that she, she reported herself as neglected and Natalia is like, I actually didn't report myself neglected. He's like, yes, you did. So you're saying the police and the police and the case manager are lying. And he, she's like, I didn't report it. I never fucking said that I never called anybody. I wouldn't have known to call anybody. She says, I didn't even know that's what she called it. I didn't even know I would say I'm being neglected. So no. But he keeps saying, so you're saying the police and case manager are lying. And finally she goes, yes, I am. I'm saying that. You fucking prick. I hate him. And I, we keep getting all these scenes with the defense strategy. I don't need it. Put more put more footage of people saying that the Barnetts are bad. Let's get more of their side of the story. I don't need to see his whole defense team being scammers, okay? The deposition with Kina, who was the, the woman who we met in the beginning of, what was that, episode four, who, li- who has the knives on her, the weapons, uh, She's clearly being attacked by this Mark guy, too. And she says, it sounds like you're just trying to make excuses for a woman who abandoned her child. And he gets all heated. And she's like, her husband hears it. And she's like, you stay out of this. But she gets him. She gets him good. She's like, stop calling me ma'am. Okay. She's not putting up with that at all. Then there's. They play the audio of Michael totally throwing Christine under the bus about how it's a white trash town. And But this comes back to haunt him. It, it's it's not good because you're admitting that you dropped her. First you say you think she's 20, 20, 20, 22. So they're like, okay, well, we're doing the math and that would put her at 16. And you're saying that you know that you guys dropped her in this town. Like it doesn't look good for you that you did this. On the stand, this is just such such injustice. She had to say... Natalia, when she's on the stand, she had to say that she was born in 1989 because the court had ruled that they could not honor anything other than the court document about her reaging. She's being asked questions that she can't remember. So they're like, oh, it's proving you're lying. But 
literally at the time that they're asking about, she was six, seven, eight years old. Who has vivid memories of that time? And unfortunately, the verdict comes in pretty fucking quick and Michael gets off. And Beth Karras knows it's because they they didn't know that she was an elementary age child. And we speak to the foreperson, Jane Parker, uh, and she said that 100% of the jury agreed that they abandoned her. But because the judge was so strict on what they had to go off of, they had to rule not guilty. Like, technically, according to what they were allowed to factor into their decision. She watches when she, uh, Jane, she watches the Dr. Phil episode after the trial, which must have been so heartbreaking for her because she's like, well, we, we couldn't help her here. Michael is then, he's subpoenaed to testify against Christine in her trial. You know he can't wait for that. But we get, we get yet another Michael interview after the trial. Why they're forcing us to listen to this man over and over, I don't know. Just cut it already. But he claims at the trial, like as the verdict was coming in, he locked eyes with Natalia and she does a little wave and I, I mouth to her, this is hard. I'm sorry. <laughs> Fuck you. He points out, he's very happy about this, that Natalia never said he hurt her, specifically never said his name. I wouldn't be surprised if that was like struck from the record or something. But he's all he's all happy. He's like, I have double jeopardy. There's double jeopardy. So I can't go. They can't go back and charge me for anything. Oh, OK. <laughs> you, he is way too excited about that. OK, you fucking scam artist, you nasty, nasty, disgusting man. Ugh. But then, OK, Freddie. Remember Freddie? Little, little person, sex maniac, rock and roll man. He talks about the time detectives interviewed him and asked him if he had any sexual relations with Natalia. And he was like, huh? What? And they were like, no, no, you're not going to be in trouble. But he's like, I was just so flabbergasted because I've never, ever, ever been with a little person, ever, never once. So I would know that if I did that and just was like putting it out of my mind, like never, never happened. And then he shows that Christine tried to set him up with her. And he was just so disgusted by that. So then they cut back to Michael, his post-trial interview. And the producer says to him that, that um, Freddie said something. Freddie Gill said, a very serious accusation about you. And I feel like we should show you. And Michael's like, no, I don't want to see it. But his attorney's like, yeah, let's, let's take a look just in case this comes out. And, oh, my God, Michael's so, Michael's so, like, he's so proud of himself. He's like, how many pieces do you want this computer back? Because I'm going to smash it when I'm done. And they're like, all right, shut the fuck up. So they start playing it. They play the clip. And the last line that we get is, Christine basically said that Natalia and that everything cuts off. And the next is is um, Michael being like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm not even going near this. I'm done. And Freddie they go back to him. He says, I think that when I testify in Christine's trial, I'll be doing the right thing. Well, guess what? March 2023, prosecutors filed, prosecutors filed a motion to dismiss Christine's case due to insufficient evidence, and the court granted it. 
Okay. We need we need Natalia's version of this stat fucking immediately. Because I think what happened to her was that they because unfortunately fetishes make a lot of money in sex work. And I fear that they pimped her out. You know? Like what what else would it have been that would make him so disgusted, right? I that's my theory. They're sick, fucked up people. Okay? I want to get that Jacob kid out of out of out from his dad's basement too cuz he's he needs help as well. He looks so so traumatized and not well and ugh, it's bad. It's so bad. So yeah, I'm very disappointed that we had to get so much of Mike cuz they just kept pl- like they kept it was I sort of fast forwarding. I don't need to listen to this guy with the crying and the overdramatic reenactments. I'm like, "Okay, we get it. Like put someone else in here." Give us more facts. It's all from this guy's lens. So it is good that they've got a Natalia version coming out because we need to hear it. And I will absolutely be covering that because that's who I want to hear from. The Dr. Phil interview sheds a huge light on all of it too. It's realistic. You see the parents that have adopted her who love her. They've got nothing bad to say about her. The She needs a walker to walk. So how dangerous could she have been you absolute monsters so justice for her in every possible way i can't believe they mo- they granted that motion to dismiss the case i hope there's another way they can come after these people like i hope that there's some other loophole and something or some other thing they can charge them for because it's it's awful it was a, it was a good I would say it's a I'd give the the overall execution of the docu series in a 7 a 7 and a half because again it was way too much of that guy they could have pulled in some different people to interview um and it is just it is crazy that they did this without Natalia's input so that you lose points there but okay wow I've talked for an hour and a half my god no wonder I'm out of breath. All right. Well, that wraps that wraps up this week's weekly roundup. Keep your eyes open to my Insta stories because that is where I'm going to be posting what I'll be going over next week. And like I said, guys, let me know if you want me to keep covering the other two because I really don't like hate recapping a show. That's just stupid. But since I started recapping it, I don't want to just like drop it. I have tried to get into – um somebody somewhere i'm just getting i'm a halfway through the second season and i'm like it's getting a little repetitive i think i have to watch it in small doses because i think it gets a little depressing to binge but i love the characters so much on that show they're well developed and well connected and sweet and tender and it's great but it just i'm 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 lacking i'm wondering like where is it going like are we never getting out of this town is are things never improving what is her end goal? Where are we go- like I just don't know where where we're going with it. It feels like it's just gotten repetitive and depressing to be honest. Um but I I don't really have um any issues necessarily with it. I think that's just the choice they're making. But I was going to recap it, but I don't know if I want to add that to my weekly to the weekly roundup. If you have any suggestions for shows you want me to be watching, uh let me know. Let me know in the DMs over at She Speaks and All Pod. 
Okay? All right, guys. Love you. Mean it. And I'll see you for the rewatch of Succession and Yellow Jackets in a few days. Bye. Thank you guys so much for listening to She Speaks It All, a podcast from the creator and host of She Speaks Bravo in partnership with Cloud10 Media. Make sure you are following She Speaks It All pod on Instagram and TikTok. And of course, make sure you are subscribed or following this podcast. Hit that notification bell so you never miss an episode. And if you want to support me, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash she speaks bravo and buy me a coffee or two or five. Thanks, you guys. See you next time. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.